Hi, folks. Welcome to the Social Yet Distance podcast. My name is Jack. I'll be your host today. We're going to be talking with Edward L. Canavan, who is an American poet. His work's been published in Harbinger Asylum, Poetry Quarterly, the Oddville Press, among many, many others. His second poetry collection was entitled Protest and Isolation, was released by Cyberwit. Born and raised in the Bronx, New York, he currently resides in North Hollywood, California, where he practices Buddhism and listens to MC5. Sounds like a good life, Ed. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> good, good. How's it going, Jack? Thanks for having me. Buddy. Oh, it's my pleasure, buddy. I'm glad that you're here. Um, you know, we talked a little bit before the show. And first of all, I want to say I really enjoyed your work last night on the Collapse Press uh, open mic um, as a feature there. And I would encourage everybody to visit Collapse Press and take part in their open mic events. And Beast Crawl is coming up, too. You want to know about that. So we'll uh, include more information as the weeks go by. We're getting really close. That being said, let's talk, Ed. Um, you know, the thing that I like to do most of all is really just get to know the people that, that I have sitting across the table from me and uh, the virtual table. And you are one of those people I've been watching, and I certainly value uh, the amount of time that you spend looking at my stuff and uh, and let me know how you how you feel about that. So that's very important to me, and I appreciate that. Um, it's always intriguing to me how people get from point a where they didn't write to where they are today in their in their writing career or persona or whatever you want to call it um you know i had my path that i traveled and i'm sure that you have yours and i think that their audience would probably love to hear a little bit about that yeah i was uh just from as early as i can remember i was always into uh music and um mostly grew up on uh cut my teeth on uh punk and metal and i was just always very uh very attracted to the lyrics i always wanted to know you know this was back you know before you you know you can you can go to lyric genius or anything and find out the lyrics so there were a lot of times i would just sit and listen to a song over and over just to, <laughs> yeah just to figure out what they were saying and it was just such a such a kick when there actually be a record sleeve with the lyrics on it and i just i was just really drawn to that and uh you know flash forward <laughs> and it's funny i really one of my biggest discoveries was there was a uh red hot chili peppers song that i loved the chili peppers i loved fishbone and there's a chili peppers song that mentioned uh bukowski i was like oh who's this bukowski guy and that was that was that was it right there. And it's so perfect that I found Bukowski through song lyrics because I, you know, growing up and in school and Shakespeare and all this flowery, lovely poetry. And then I bought a Bukowski book. The first one I bought was uh Burning in Water, Drowning in Flame. And to this day, the first poem in that book, The Tragedy of the Leaves, was still one of the most amazing things I ever read because that that wasn't what I learned poetry was you know and I read that and I said wow that's that's completely just blew my mind that that could be poetry because that that just hit me so hard it wasn't like you know 
roses are red and we're in love and all and it was just it was just fucking life man and it was harsh and you made of it what whatever you could you know as bad as it was as good as it was you had to take both and just balance it and you know i just took a little bit of that a little bit of song lyrics and just you know kind of started scratching down some stuff on my own and you know bukowski led me you know, through just like I got into uh, Dennis Johnson and, and oh, yeah. uh, Bob Kaufman and, you know, Burroughs and just not mainstream people, you know, I wasn't reading like, you yeah, know, uh, uh, Stephen <laughs> King and, you know, people like that, you know, everyone was into that when I was right. growing up and it was like, you know, when they heard I was reading poetry, you know, they would think about, you know, roses are red, violets. I said, man, right. You're missing out. That's that. There's so much more to it, and uh, it's funny. I I kind of uh, got brought, I, a, a, I got brought a, a completely different path. I remember being very young, and my dad was a pretty studious guy, and he had a bookshelf, and I would always crawl up there and go through the books because I love to read. And I remember these Bukowski books up there, and they were like all the novels. And I would pick them up and read a couple pages or whatever, but it just, it felt dirty to me or something. Like I was looking at his wires <laughs> or something. I don't know what it was about that, but I, it made a mark on me so that once I actually took an interest in it, and that's another whole story how I started writing, but um, once I started taking an interest in it, that's where I went. And of course, like you said, Bukowski, you know, there's the ongoing debate about him, but the reality is his writing stands for what it is. And if nothing else, he's going to lead you to somebody else like Dennis Johnson, for example, or D.A. Levy, or who, know, who knows who, anybody, you know, that might be in this book, for example, um, you know, those are the people who, who, who make a difference now. And you get led to those people through the people like the Bukowski. And, you know, it's become a marketing thing, I think, to me. And I'm guilty of it. On, on our um, ongoing support page, um, which is like Patreon, it's not, but um, it's like Patreon. And, you know, one of the things I said on the uh, level is that everything's free. But if you want to donate, it's five bucks a week, uh, five bucks a month, which is way less than it would ever cost you to take Bukowski out for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, so I, I hear the reading part of it. How do you start writing? I I just it really took hold. I was my freshman year in high school. I went to uh, Fordham University. Uh, my mom worked there. It was a it was a very expensive kind of prep school, and my mom uh, worked there in the religious studies department. And because she worked there, she got you know half price on college and pre. I mean half price in the in the prep school, right. and a, a huge discount on college. So you know, me and my brother ended up going there for. Uh, for high school well my brother went there for high school for four years I got booted out after the first year um, but I had an English teacher there <clears throat> excuse me 
he was a Jesuit. His name was Mr. Sheehan. And he looked like he belonged in the uh, Grateful Dead. I mean, he just had a huge beard, wore black socks and sandals. And every day he would have us write um, a paragraph to bring to, to bring to class. Anything we want, just write a paragraph. So, you know, we just, I just write about music or what record I was listening to or, you know, something like that. And then a couple of weeks in, we started uh, studying poetry. And he said, you know, in lieu of a uh, uh, paragraph for every day, if you want, write a poem instead of a paragraph, hand that in every day. So that was really my first, well, I have a reason to try, so I might as well start doing this. So I started, you know, <clears throat> handing in poems. And then, you know, he started giving us exercises about, you know, writing poems and we'd have, we'd, uh, he'd pick a few of us to read them out loud. And he kept kind of picking on me because I, you know, he liked what I was writing. And the friends I had, they all knew I was into punk and metal and music. So they just assumed I was, you know, stealing lyrics from some obscure band and passing it off as poetry. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm writing this. I'm like, no, nah, you, you're not like that. That's not you. And I was like, all right, whatever. But um, Mr. Sheen, he just, he just really gave me that little kick I needed. He really, uh, he really, you know, took me aside. He said, you know, this is, this is good stuff, you know, just keep writing, you know, don't listen to these other boneheads. He's like, you know, I know this is coming from your heart and, you know, you just gotta, you know, keep doing it. So, you know, when that semester was over and we moved on, I just kept, you know, writing, kept exploring, kept, you know, look around in the, in the, in the, in the po poetry sections. I bought pretty much every Bukowski book I could get my hands on. And then, uh, you know, I, another huge influences uh, to me were Patti Smith and Leonard Cohen, just because of that whole music and poetry thing. And that's just, I mean, Patti Smith is just a, a god to me. No doubt. And, um, you know, I just, I just took it from there and I just started, you know, writing, had my little. Ed, you're probably, you probably know it, but I always tell people that like Patti Smith that if they haven't heard Banga, which was oh a, yeah every everything everything she's ever done is just, album I mean I, I, uh, the last concert I actually saw before the lockdown was two weeks before the lockdown started I'd never seen Patty Smith live I think I read yesterday she's on tour again oh really yeah yeah I definitely go see her I again her, but I had I went I to see her at the she has a Patreon newsletter that's out there yeah yeah she's on Substack as well yeah oh, yeah Substack that's what it yeah, is yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I went to see her at the Disney concert hall and it was, it was a religious experience. I saw her with it's Michael so Stipe at the Playhouse, the Variety Playhouse Theater in Atlanta. And Michael Stipe was still so like nervous that he didn't ever face the stage. I mean, the audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole time, you know. And when R.E.M. first played, he he did that a lot. Mm -hmm. back when he still had his long hair you know yeah but yeah he was always a huge proponent of her stuff he loved it he oh yeah, loved her oh, too. yeah. and um but yes yeah, so I, I you know like i said i just started you know writing and it wasn't nobody really knew you know i had uh 
I just kept my stuff to myself and, you know, wrote a lot and, and, you know, got bounced around, went to another high school that was not as advanced as the preparatory school. So it was kind of, I just kind of coasted along there and, you know, barely made it through there. And, you know, college, you know, after uh, 12 years of uh, Catholic school, I really wanted nothing to do with organized religion or organized schooling for that matter. I bet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's, you know, part of the reason why social yet distance even exists is because my friend, Dr. Fran Locke, who is a doctor, a PhD of poetry in England. Um, she and I have had an ongoing conversation for about 10 years about the differences in the education systems and what they cover in the content that they teach. And of course, the British are much more tuned into the literature, a lot more to the older literature. They're more in tune to studying why these poems exist and uh, the history behind them and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I think about what I was taught in public school in Georgia. And, and then I hear you talking about your experience and they're all very different, but we all three tell stories that are centered around similar concepts and ideas. We just tell them different. And it's a very interesting thing to me um, to, see, to, to see how that, that's why that's part of the question I always ask is like, how do you get, how did you get here? And part of what I want to know is what was your education like? Because I learned everything on my own. I, I, you know, I started writing when I was very young, started getting in trouble, quit, you know, quit writing in and out of jail, that kind of stuff. And the only real writing I did at that point was I, I made a living writing letters to, to judges and parole officers and girlfriends <laughs> at home who were pissed off and that kind of thing, because I had a way of speaking that, you know, these guys in jail just couldn't do. And um, they would do their fancy little, uh, you know, hand-drawn, hand-colored gift cards, you know, or, or uh, uh, you know, cards that they would send to whoever at home and I would write the stuff into the cards for them. <laughs> and now I got pretty good at writing letters to the parole board on my own behalf as well. <laughs> I guess so, you are no Bergerac of the jail system. The thing about it is, is in, in the purge, that came much later of all that and all that I was going through and all I learned and all I went through and the d bad decisions that I made and the reasons behind them and all that kind of healing that I got from my addiction help and, and, and getting that monkey off my back long enough to get some sanity. Um, then I started purging and I'm not kidding you, Ed, I have 350 pages of basically free flowing like text where I would just ramble about whatever and I go through there every once in a while and I'll pull out parts and bits and pieces and I'll tell that story as a poem. And, 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 and that's kind of how I've done it is I've taken all of those bits and pieces of my life and I've put them together in something that's presentable, maybe add some art, maybe add some video, something along those lines. But the, the problem is I'm still talking about myself again all the time. You know, I, I, my dealings with metaphor and 
masking who we're really talking about and those kind of magic skills that poets do, I'm not very good at because I'm I was trained to be brutally honest. And I don't, mm. I don't mince my words and, and right. am incapable of lying anymore like I used to. I mean, I could fit any mm -hmm. situation at any time. I, I convinced a Colombian drug dealer that I was my twin brother and that I would go and find me for him. <laughs> <laughs> so I've come a long way, baby. <laughs> My, my question to you is, you know, when are you going to read some damn poems, dude? <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> I'm new to this. Um, I will out-talk you, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, you said about purging. I mean, this that's pretty much what my first book is, Recollection. It's just it's a lot of the men's in here, a lot of every, I mean, I could pick out, you know, 12 different poems in here to go through the 12 different steps, you know. Well, as many people as there are in our circles who have experienced that or dealt with that, I mm -hmm. imagine that most people that would pick up and read that book are going to see it anyway. I mean, do you find that to be... Right, right, yeah. I mean, I think that a lot, because I think, you know, I think it's a lot more out in the open than it used to be, but also... You know, I I I was forty uh, when I got sober, and this is the this book is pretty much the most honest I've been up until that time. Right. I mean, that was everything up until then was just I was just running on fumes and just hiding shit and just I mean, I everything just you know broke. You know, after I got sober, because it had to. You know, I couldn't. Right. I couldn't carry that weight anymore and just it was just a huge sigh of relief and even going back to um Bukowski I was I was nervous not nervous but just I had a weird feeling about going back and reading his stuff now that I was sober and I just like you said I mean it is for what it is but it, it just I saw it in a whole different light there, there was you know a lot of a lot of hope in the honesty you know, that I hadn't seen before, that I just saw it was, you know, funny and dark about drinking and life. And I just saw it with a whole different uh, perspective that just, I basically just reread everything again, you know, when I got sober. And I was just so, you know, grateful to know that that was still going to be a part of my life. And I could still learn from that in ways I hadn't. Well, learned. I also, I also think that, um, um, you know, when, when you think about people from that time, like the Bukowskis and William S. Burroughs and, uh, uh, you know, our Gonzo buddy, um, you know, they were different to begin with. Um, and I think that that is the one common thread that runs through all of us is we all have a bit of madness whether it's from addiction or just whatever, um, mm -hmm. the way life treated you or like Burroughs growing up in an extremely wealthy family, you know, who yeah. knows what the, the, the issues are that have made the people into who they are. And when you're looking at things through a new set of glasses, which may ring a bell, um, <laughs> if, if you're ringing, I mean, if you're looking through the that, um, 
lens, then the reality is we fit in as much as they do. We're all just telling the same story in a different way. That's all. Mm -hmm. It's not unique because we're artists. It's unique because we're freaking humans. Mm -hmm. And most people can't sit down and write it like you and I or Bukowski or Burroughs or anybody else could. Um, so we can speculate all day and we can make judgments or we can look at the words and pull what the good is out of it and use that in the future. And when I read Bukowski now, I, I, it is different, but I don't see him as some hopeless, sad drunk. Right, exactly. I don't see him that way at all. And, mm -hmm. you know, he may have had his um, weaknesses as a man, but geez, you know, if people knew my story, <laughs> you know, I was way weaker than any Bukowski, you know. <laughs> At least he worked at the post office and had a good living, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he had a steady job. Yeah, that's a good job to have. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear some poetry, brother. All right, man. Uh, this is one of the first ones in uh, Rec Collection. It's called The Sad Fury of Longing. Buried beneath the bones of fate's burned bridges, clawing and clawing, tormented by vacancy and blame, grasping for things gone, searching for a life that never was, as time runs like a thief, taking with it the memories that negate the only truth I've ever known. Wow, that's a that's a heavy line, man. That line hit me pretty hard. Um, read it yeah. again for me. Read it again. Sure, sure. It's the last one. Uh -huh. Searching for a life that never was, as time runs like a thief, taking with it the memories that negate the only truth I've ever known. <laughs> that's so true, man. Um, you don't write like Bukowski, um, you know, and I don't know if that's good news to you or bad, but there's a softness in the story that you're telling with that poem is the way, mm. I it, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me because I have tons of stuff that I wrote before I got sober. I read some of it last night on the claps. I can pick and choose stuff from then that I'm comfortable with, but it's just bad Bukowski most of the stuff I was writing back then, you know, it was, it was in my voice, but it was all about drinking and there was no hope and it was just angry. And well, I've you know, developed that, this that's habit not me anymore, you know, I developed this habit where I want to punch you with the last line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I want to fucking punch my point. Home. You don't have to remember the poem, just make, feel the last line. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, there's something to be said for just, you know, as all the lessons I've I've finally have sunk in, you know, I had to learn in my own time. You know, you can beat me to death with with whatever truth you thought I should know. You know, I'm not going to know it until I find it myself, you know. Exactly. Uh, let's do uh, let's do two or three. I, I mean, I've taken a lot of your time today, so let's okay. Let's knock out some poems and uh, we'll wrap things up here in a minute. Right on. 
This is called Tumbleweeds Down Dream Street. Words come and go, worlds collide and coincide, each an anchor to keep me from falling away forever into the taut pull of this lonely life, into the dementia of sanity and sameness. The night hangs like a noose and sleep becomes nothing more than a waiting grave. If only to die for a few hours and remember why there and remember why there continues to be so much that needs to be forgotten. Absolutely. Lovely, man. Lovely. Falling into place. Burning lights of brokenness adorn the graveyard trees. Of false testaments and forsaken promise. Careening down the mountain through the fog and blur. The rapid decline from the maddening peak, waiting to come home from the dark storm of deceit, through the flux and the flow, the wisdom and the weakness, the bad days and the good years, knowing that all the time it takes is a gift. And I noticed a, uh, a theme in those three of like movement like the tumbleweeds, for example. And, and it seems like there's an underlying theme of movement in those three pieces. And I, I don't know if that's a common thing with you or if you even were aware of that, but what it kind of did for me when I was listening was it turns it from listening to more like a movie um, mm. in my head. And, and I'm crazy, so, you know, <laughs> whatever that means, but you know i i just not everybody can do that in the way that they write and and i mm -hmm. believe me i listen to people read all the time and and once in a while people can kind of reach into my heart and grab it and i've just noticed on several occasions that you've done that and and the movement thing i mean as crazy as it sounds, feels like almost uh, a message, like don't get static, you know, don't, don't, don't get stale there. You got to keep moving regardless. Yeah. The whole be one with the water thing and, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, that I think that's a whole theme, you know, of that runs through, you know, uh, everything I do as much as of a, a misanthrope and a hermit that I am sometimes um, my movement is very um, like thought provoked. I need to keep progressing. I need to, you know, keep the stimuli coming. I need to listen to music. I need to read books. I need to keep the ideas flowing because if I'm just reading the same book over and over, I'm not, you know, I'm not learning everything, anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I need. I need. I need to keep moving. And I. I think. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. Because yeah, I'm just kind of realizing that myself. But yeah, it does. Well, and I, mean, I. I don't want you to think that I'm imposing that on you. And your... oh no, no, not at all. But I mean, it is. I do believe that. You know, I mean, there was the big move from you know New York to here, and you know I've been here now as long as I've been in uh, New York. So I've been half in New York and half here. And um, but 
you know, it's more of like, you know, not the physical movement, but, but the, uh, the mind movement, the evolution of, of thought and, you know, like you said, you know, if, if you're static, you're just stuck. Well, it's know. that willingness to be open to grow. That's, that's yeah. ultimately. And, and still remain teachable and open to new things and not, you know. And, and not afraid to share what you may have learned. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's the trick. Mm -hmm. um, is I got a balance between the me, me, me stuff and what can I do for you stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, that's part of like what you know, how the, you know, the whole pandemic was a blessing and a curse. I, I was able, you know, just by being static and not being able to leave my house, it opened my eyes up to other things that I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen otherwise, right. you know? Right. And um, I'm going to read a couple from uh, protest and isolation. Yeah. Hold it up so everybody can see it a little bit better. Look at that cover. Protests in isolation. This I love the upside more. down American flag. <laughs> Something ain't right. There's a line in one of my poems about back when I thought that the American and an upside down American flag meant distressed, uh, didn't meant pissed off, not distressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is called Same as Never. Caught in the clang of a cracked bell, painful echoes of nothing familiar. The hours stretch like some lost road toward a dim and fogged horizon. No use to dwell or fret over wheels already set in motion. Destinations as yet undetermined. All the more reason to seize these strange days and to recalibrate the coordinates toward our brightest inner horizons. To at least assure that if we trip or stumble, we can still fall in the right direction. The weight of things undone. The circle widens to break the blue line and smash its shield. Long this fight for growth and progress, for the killing and oppression of generation after generation of color to become as common a fodder for revolution as the white-walled streets of privilege and pensions. Nothing matters more than these lives lived in fear now taking the power back and turning, burning page after burning page. Until the smoke is cleared, the pages are blank, and the book can be completely rewritten. Nice thought, huh? <laughs> this, um, I'm gonna read this one. This is the last one in the protest and isolation. Uh, has a lot to do with uh, media overkill and bullshit and fake news and all that crap. It's called Not Everything That Is Real Is True. Dictated by societal means, we are taught by our own existence. Knowing not the impact of our non-classification 
in deeper schemes of acknowledgement and bias. Needing to broaden our spectrum, the more progressive we become. Inclusivity is often overlooked by those of us falsely believing we are above such tensions and neglect. There are voices to guide us and words to inspire us outside of our wheelhouses, far beyond the scope of what our own experience has told us. We can only go so far on what we already know. Our specific status quo needs to be unsettled. Our complicity challenged and our comfort uprooted every so often in order to constantly reevaluate the truth of who we have been, who we currently are, and who we wish to be. I really, really love your work, brother. I, I can't wait to read up a bunch more. Thank you so much. Do that. Or I might do the easy way and just go watch your YouTube stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, shit, I've been doing that like two years now. Yeah. <laughs> well, so listen, um, let's do that. I, I would like for you to cover like where we can buy your books, what you got coming, what you got out there, um, you know, where how folks can get a hold of you and uh, continue to enjoy your work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I have these two books. Uh, they're available on uh, Amazon, also on uh, the cyberwitpress.com uh, website. Um, my Instagram is uh, at edward.l.canavan.com. And there, uh, there's a link, uh, a link tree that has uh, my books, a couple of anthologies I'm in, also has a link to my Substack and um, WordPress. Uh, also on my Facebook page, I have a poets page under uh, Edward L. Canavan. I post my Substack and uh, WordPress. Uh, it's called Dispatch, uh, the Sunday Dispatch. I post about five or six uh, new poems every Sunday. Every Sunday, Christmas, New Year's, whatever day Sunday falls on, five or six new poems. And uh, I always like to end it with a, a quote. Now, which Sabbath is that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Black. Um, <laughs> Black. There you go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, and also on my Instagram page, I started during the lockdown just to keep my mind busy. Uh, something called Poems for Days. Every day I post a new poem on Instagram. They're much, very, very short, maybe four or five lines, but just to kind of get the ball rolling and, you know, keep people interested. And uh, well, to keep to help keep people interested, if you'll put together a little notepad doc or something and send it to me, uh, absolutely, yeah, as soon as you can. That way, mm -hmm. when I do the description uh, for the YouTube, I can include all that stuff there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also, uh, like you said, I uh, my Substack and uh, WordPress um, poems that I uh, email out every week and post on social media. I also read those on my YouTube channel and I post that every sun every Saturday about midnight. So you can you can see me, you can read me, you can feel me. I'm all that's about more. It. That's extra though. <laughs> well Ed, it's been a great <laughs> afternoon. I, I appreciate you spending some time with me. I'm sure the audience is going to love uh, hearing your work and and investigating a little bit further. If you'll hang tight, I'm going to stop the recording and we'll wrap it up.
Um, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming and spending the afternoon with us here at the Social Yet Distance podcast. Hope you enjoyed the afternoon with uh, our buddy Ed and uh, look for the links in the description below. We will talk to you soon and hope to see you there. Like, subscribe, and share. I need viewers, please. I need subscribers, please, so I can get paid for doing all this work. Thank you. Bye now.